It is good to see you here this morning at Bergen Park Church. We are glad that you're here today. You guys look good, and uh, we're glad you're with us. Hey, like we said, after the service, if you'd like to spend some time, you can gather out in the entryway. We have our different uh, missions, areas, emphasis. Some are local, some of the aspects that we want to support are kingdom-minded people in our community. And so one of the passions that Bergen Park Church has is to connect with any nonprofit, any kingdom-minded ministry, meaning a ministry that is focused on moving and, and bringing the gospel into communities. We want to partner with them. We want to support them. We want to be their best friend, their cheerleader, because when they do good things in our community, that's the church that's doing that. That means Bergen Park Church is a part of that. And so when you go out there, you're going to see some nonprofits from our area. You're also going to hear about some of the international, the global ministries that we're a part of. And those are opportunities to connect to those ministries. We support them financially. And some people give through designated giving through our giving site and through the uh, website. But we support those as they go out on our behalf um, to make an impact. And so take some time, if you would. Let me just share quickly to kind of let you know what, what goes on at Bergen Park and how our missions connects to the actual church. What we try to do is every six weeks is to emphasize and focus on one of those ministries. Now, if we went way back to September, if you can remember back in September, it was a while ago, the first thing we did was we went up to Idaho Springs and we did our first Neighbors Helping Neighbors, which is one of our ministries, and we went up to Idaho Springs, about 55 people, and we did a bunch of mission work in that area. I think we painted some houses, put on a roof. Uh, I wasn't on the roof. Uh, we did a bunch of things in that area to try to kind of build some relationships in that community. And so that was back in September. And then in October, we emphasized our uh, Evergreen Outreach Program, that we have a shelter that meets here every, once every five weeks for a week. And it moves around to different communities in the area. And during that time, our goal was, was to raise up 10 people who would volunteer to serve in the Evergreen Shelter Program. And God raised up more than 10 people that then went through the training and now are connected to that ministry. So that was September. Now, if you remember October, you remember October? September, October, November. That's where we are now. You're tracking with me. In November, our focus was the uh, Operation Christmas Child. And see, our goal was to get 200 boxes. If you know about those boxes we put together, we send them out to different communities. And there is the gospel. It's a way of communicating God's love and also the gospel. Well, instead of just 200, you guys, because you're so amazing, and you're, you put together 257 boxes, 257 boxes. And someone from Operation Christmas Child told me, they told me this, so I can pass it on to you. It's got to be true. That per capita, per the number of people we have, this church is the number one church that produces those boxes in Colorado per the number of people, the attendance that we have. So that's, that's a pretty cool thing. And then finally, just in December, we emphasized our scarf ministry. And this prayer scarf ministry is something that a number of women, they put together, they knit the scarves, and then they send those scarves out. And it reminds people that we're praying for them. It's a, a way of comforting them as they go through difficult challenges. And during that time, I think we gave out more than 400 of those scarves. They completely ran out of those scarves. And then finally, finally again, I said finally three times. Finally, just here in January, we sent out a short-term mission trip to Myanmar, and they went and ministered to the people there. So what you're going to find is like every month, something new's coming up, something new that we're focusing on. And so kind of pay attention to that cycle. And when you hear something come up, connect to us or also connect out there in the entryway. All right, that was a lot, wasn't it? It's kind of fast commercial right there. 
So I'm going to take a deep breath and kind of, oh, bless you, kind of slow down. Um, hey, what we're doing today, if you want to grab a Bible, you can go to Matthew 6. We're going to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing to walk through the Lord's Prayer. We're coming to the end. So this is kind of getting down to, to the end of it. We focused on the first half, focusing on the character of God, because what we've discovered is that the Lord's Prayer is structured a lot like the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, the first five, or four, five, five, four, no, four. I got it. The first four are focused on God. The last five through ten are focused on us. And likewise, the Lord, Lord's Prayer is structured on that same idea. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First four commandments. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's five through ten. Lord's Prayer breaks down the same way. The beginning of the prayer is focused on God. This is who God is, and this is what he's done for us. And then after that, it's focused on us. This is who we are. We are those who need our daily bread, and we need to be dependent on God, and God is the one that provides. So though we provide for ourselves and our effort and our energies and our intelligence and all the work that we put into it, we are to trust that God ultimately is our provider, and therefore each day we're to get up and recognize I'm dependent on him. God, give me today what I need because I'm dependent on you. And then next we looked at the idea that I need to be forgiven, that God is forgiving. Who am I? I'm somebody that needs to be forgiven, and therefore I need to forgive others. And so we prayed that prayer, uh, forgive us our debts as we also forgive those debts against us, those who sin against us. And then today we come to that last section, which many people have questions about. It says, deliver us. God, don't lead us into temptation, which seems a little strange, right? Why would God lead us into temptation, but instead deliver us from evil. And so today we're going to capture what that means and, and kind of jump into that and look at it. So, hey, if you want to grab your Bible, let's go into it. You can turn on your phone and go to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to pick it up in verse 5. The word of the Lord. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Instead, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. Um, God, I thank you that you tell us the word of God, it is living and active. It's not just an intelligence. It's not an information that comes in. Rather, when we come before your word, there's a power that works upon us through the Holy Spirit. And that takes, it requires faith. It requires trust that we open our hearts and say, Father, uh, expose the areas of our life that need to be exposed. 
and help us to see ourselves as you do so that we could trust you, depend on, depend on you, and, Father, to uh, know you more. And so in this time, would you teach us and guide us in Jesus' name? Amen. So lead us not into temptation. Anyone dealing with temptation? Yeah, no hands, huh? No hands on that one. Yeah. That's, that's something we need to address. We all run into temptation. Deliver us from evil. So here's what we're looking at. Why would, on the first hand, why, why does it say God don't lead us into temptation? Now understand, James says God does not tempt us. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one, right, ready? Each one of us is tempted when, by your own evil desires, you're dragged in and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The point is God doesn't tempt us. So what is he saying when it says, don't lead us into temptation? Now understand, the word temptation in the Greek, it's translated a number of different ways. It's kind of a, a, one of those squiggly words. It's kind of get, hard to get your hands on. And it can be translated as temptation. And it, it can also be translated as trial. Or it can be translated as test. So the word temptation that's in that verse, lead us not into temptation. In the Greek is the word periosmos. It can mean temptation. It can mean trial, it can mean test. Now, how do we know what it means in each verse? Well, we know based on the context of the verse that sometimes what God is saying is, here are the tests of life. Sometimes he's describing the temptations of life or the trials of life. Now, what makes something a test or a temptation is how you respond. That every, situ every situation in life is in some sense a test, a trial, or a temptation. And it's all based on how we respond in the moment. So what he's saying here is, God, as I experience the trials of life, meaning suffering, the good things, the bad things, may they not become temptations. May they just be tests that draw me closer to you. So may the experiences of life, may they not be temptations. God, don't take me to a place of evil. Because what we're going to find out is what we're really praying for is not that God would remove the pain, but he would enable us to avoid the sin. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Our, our goal is not just to avoid pain, avoid difficulty, but rather to avoid sin. So God, deliver me from evil, because when I face circumstances in life, those tests will either be a trial that comes in to refine me or a temptation that I give into that destroys me. And so here's the first thing we got to discover. As Jesus is teaching us about trials, temptation, deliver us from evil, the first thing is we need to expect that temptation is going to come. The reason this is here, the reason we're praying this, is because that's the experience of life. Lead us not into temptation. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter captures it this way. In 1 Peter 4.12, he said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, our culture wants you to believe that when bad things happen, that's strange. That's not life. Life is about avoiding difficulties. God is saying, I want you to see it differently. Life isn't about avoiding difficulties. Difficulties come into our life, and God uses those things to refine us. They're not the bad stuff in life necessarily, but they can lead us to temptation. God wants to use it in our lives to refine us and to draw us closer to him. And so the first thing that we're learning from this is we've got to expect these things to come. 
You've got to expect trials. You've got to expect them to come. Now, what does that look like? It looks like when they come, we got to be aware. we got to be aware of what those things draw out of us and how God wants us to respond. Because, see, I think trials, they come in different sizes. I tend to pay a lot of attention to the big ones, and they're obvious. I mean, when the big one comes, you, you really feel the weight. But the reason we're successful with the big ones is because we know how to identify the little ones. If we're not successful in the little things of life, meaning if we're not pressing into God when those minor irritations come in, and we don't see those moments as opportunities for honesty, opportunities for integrity, this moment of irritation, why do I have the boss that I have? You know, why am I struggling with the neighbor that I have? Why am I dealing with these politicians and all that kind of stuff? What is all this about? It's about drawing near to God and allowing those moments to draw out honesty, integrity, trust, faithfulness. These are not moments that are just to be irritations that I avoid. These are tests that are going to draw out of me what's in there. You with me? And he's saying when these things come, the goal we want to pursue is to avoid evil. We don't want to avoid the trial. Because I think in our culture, our culture says, hey, just avoid the trial. Chase after some comfort. Life is about maintaining you know, your status of life, your feelings in life. But God is saying these things have come into our life to test us. Don't be surprised. And so in James chapter 1, James captured it this way in chapter 1, verse 2. He talks about trials this way. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, here's why. Because we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness must have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So when I feel that irritation come, I can either say, hey, everyone else is bothering me. They need, to, they need to stop messing with my life. I can start demanding my way, or I could say, you know what? Hey, maybe this is a test that's come into my life to refine me and draw me closer to God, not to allow me to be as childish as I want. And he's saying we should consider these moments joy because God's refining something in us that apart from this, it wouldn't happen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says it very similarly. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in these passages, you're seeing those same three words. You're seeing the words temptation, trial, test. And Peter's saying when these trials come, when these temptations come, he wants us to see it as a fiery furnace. And this fiery furnace, the idea of that is it's a refiner's fire. It's not a burning up kind of fire, not the fires out in California that just wiped everything out. But it's a fire that if we allow it to come in, will purify and refine our faith. And so here's the question. When those little irritations come in, are you allowing it to refine you? Are you turning towards God and allowing him to draw out of you what he wants to draw out? Or are you just giving into it? Are you essentially going, hey, evil, have your way? Because again, if we don't respond well to the small things, you're not gonna handle the big things. You know, I love talking to uh, young people as they start growing up. 
and I'll have conversations with people and, and we'll get in these moments and maybe this young man will say to me, hey, I think, I think we're gonna get married or I think we're gonna have kids. You know, and I'll start, I'll ask them questions and you'll discover that during their dating time, as they're dating, uh, that hasn't gone well. A lot of fights, a lot of arguments. And so basically, in some ways, I, I illustrate it this way, it's like you're going to the gym and, and you're lifting 100 pounds. That's dating. And now you wanna get married, which means it's not just another 100 pounds because you're gonna be together all the time. You're putting about 250 on that bar. So you're telling me you're not doing well with the little things, but let's have a kid. Hey, let's buy a house. Financially, we're not doing well, but I love this. I wanna buy this car. And what we start doing is we think, hey, we're not doing the small stuff, so let's add more weight. Maybe we're gonna do better. It doesn't work that way. If we're not identifying the small things in life, and, and turning to God in the midst of that, we're not gonna respond in the big things in life, which means we need to have a new perspective that when these things come, you've gotta say, wait a minute, this isn't about my comfort, this is a test. I can either draw near to God and learn from this, or I can be delivered into evil and be hurt by this. You with me on that? We as Christians have to have a different perspective to how we see the challenges in life. That's what he's saying. Lead us not into temptation. When it comes, help me to identify it. Help me to see it for what it is. And then, Lord, use it in my life. So that's the first thing. First thing we gotta do is we gotta expect it. We've gotta see it. And then next, understand, and this is big for me, the enemy is not pain. The enemy is evil. When I go through trials, my enemy is pain. Inconvenience. Listening. I don't want to listen right now. I want what I want, and I want it when I want, and especially in the midst of trial, because trial means that your margins have diminished. Trials come because there's stress in life, there's hardships in life, there's already things in your life that are difficult to handle. And when that comes in, the pressure builds, often what we turn to is to selfishness, and he's saying the challenge that you need to fight against is not your, don't be fighting for your comfort, but instead fight against sin. The enemy is sin, not the person you're dealing with. Hey, I wish there was a little voice in my head every time I had that problem. The enemy is not the person, your enemy is not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. You need to see life as God sees it. And so he's saying the enemy isn't the trial that you're experiencing. The enemy is the sin that's in front of you. So notice again in verse 13, he says it in two ways. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what does it mean when it says lead us not into temptation? Well, it means deliver us from evil. Because the two phrases, they modify each other. To not be led into temptation means, God, deliver me from evil. That Jesus is saying the only thing that can hurt you in this moment is not the pain, it's the sin. Now, we don't tend to see life that way because we don't see the seriousness of sin. The wages of sin is death. We don't see the weightiness of our own brokenness, our bad decisions, how that begins to break up our relationships. See, God sees things according to what is real, according to reality, according to truth. And he's saying when those tests come, don't just avoid the pain, rather, in those moments, avoid the sin. God, deliver me from evil. In some ways, God, deliver me from myself. You know, under pressure, under pressure, a lot of good things can happen and a lot of bad things can happen. 
You know, under pressure, you test yourself. You find out where you are. You know, one of the best things I know growing up for me uh, was when I had the opportunity to play with somebody, certainly in basketball, that was much better than me. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I want to play with people who are worse than me so I feel competent, you know, I feel, I feel strong. But see, when you play with somebody who's better than you and that pressure comes on, it actually enables you to get better. Or I don't know if you've noticed this, maybe it's in the workplace and you come across somebody who's much more efficient than you are. You know, their ability to speak, their ability to do things just far outweighs your own. And there's a sense in which when you get alongside that pressure, someone that's stronger than you, in some ways it enables you to go, wait a minute, I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know you could do things that well. I didn't know you could go that fast. I didn't know you could jump that high. And it can either take you in one of two directions. One is into despair, or it can be a refining aspect to say, hey, I want to improve. I want to get better. Under pressure, a lot of things can happen. Now, if you think of coal, coal, when coal is under pressure, under the right conditions, it turns into a, a diamond. But see, under the wrong conditions, it just turns into dust. Lead us not into temptation as God... Instead of turning me into dust, would you use this in my life to refine me into a diamond? I want you to refine my life, purify my life, cleanse out of me so that when I see these irritations, when I see these frustrations, when I see this impatience in my life, this is where you want to push me away from myself and closer to you. God, trust, help me to trust you in the midst of that. Now, this is something that Jesus understood. If you know the life and the story of Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came on him. And that's kind of like our conversion moment, if you think about that. The Holy Spirit comes on him. When you accept Jesus into your life and you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, the Spirit of God comes in. And a lot of people think, okay, when God's with me, everything's going to be good. That's the Christian life. And there's a lot of teachers that will tell you this. The Christian life, if you have enough faith, everything's going to be good. When the Holy Spirit's with you, it's going to be good. Well, you know what happened? As soon as the Holy Spirit came on Jesus, you know where he went? Temptation. He was tempted. What's the purpose of the Spirit there is to depend upon God and not myself. Jesus was led into the wilderness. He was tempted. And his entire life was one big temptation. Am I going to trust the Father and trust what the Father wants? Or rather, am I going to trust myself? And so you can see his life is this bookend of temptation. In the beginning, right after his baptism... He was led and he was tempted. And the way he overcame wasn't by self-will. It wasn't by simply saying, hey, I'm strong enough. Instead, he began to quote the word of God. He relied upon the power that God gave him and everything that came out of him was scripture. But then the next thing that happened is at the end of his life, when he's in the garden, again, he's in a time of temptation. And he says, Father, in this moment, not what I want, I'm not going to give in to irritation. I'm not going to give in to selfishness. I'm not going to just assume that I'm right. Instead, deliver me from evil. But you know what he said? God, even if evil wins in this moment, so be it. Now, that's something that's a little more difficult to trust. Because we can trust God. God, would you deliver me from this? But Jesus is going to take us to a new place. And this prayer is going to take us to a new place. We're not just trusting God to help us to get through it, but to say, God, even if the worst happens, enable me to trust you. God, even if my worst fears become reality, would you enable me in this moment to depend upon you, not my will, but yours be done? Now, how do we pray that? We'll only pray it if we believe the enemy is sin and not, and not our lack of comfort. 
And the challenge is you live in a culture that says avoid suffering, avoid suffering, medicate suffering, buy stuff to deal with suffering, do things to avoid suffering. God is saying in the midst of suffering, trust me, it's not a temptation I'm sending to your life. It's a test to refine you. So the first thing is we need a new perspective. You need to start changing the way you see the difficulties that come into life. But then second, we need to know the enemy is not the discomfort. The enemy is sin. And that's why the phrase forgive us comes before deliver us. You notice that? That's important. Why do we pray forgive us our debts before we pray deliver us from evil? Because see, when God has forgiven us, he's done that on behalf of us by grace. God has given us something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve forgiveness. And yet he's poured out the forgiveness in our life and he's done something for us that we do not deserve and he has loved us. And now after we've experienced his love, we say, God, now deliver us. Now, the reason we ask God to deliver us is not God deliver me from the consequences, but God, I hate the sin that led Christ to the cross. See, when we pray, we're supposed to move away from, hey, God, I just hate the consequences of my sin. Because see, if deliver us from evil was first and forgive us was second, then all you'd be praying is, God, would you get the consequences out of my life? Would you remove my personal suffering? But see, because he's put forgiveness first, he's saying the reason that we ask God to deliver us is because we don't want the sin in our life that caused him to die on the cross and forgive us. You with me? That we've got to get to a place where we hate the sin and not the consequences. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, here's the last thing that we've got to see is in this prayer, there is one petition that goes before every petition. And that first petition is our Father. The phrase, our Father, modifies everything else in the prayer. That before we pray, forgive us, we say, our Father, forgive us. Before we pray, deliver us from evil, we say, our Father, our Father, deliver us from evil. Because the idea is, as we pray, the first thing we have to keep in mind is that we are adopted children of God. And that we're coming to the Father, and we can pray this not because we've got things together, but we're coming to God because we're children, and we can trust him. And so he's telling us as we go through trials, as we go through temptations and pains, we've got to remind ourselves of our relationship to God and what it's based on that we are to pray this way, our Father in heaven. Not, oh God, how great thou art, oh God, how powerful, how sovereign, which is all true, but the stone we've got to step on to get to that place of being delivered from evil is, God, you're my Father. Now, let me explain why that's helpful, and, and I think you'll find it helpful. I, I know in my life there's different ways that I respond to suffering. Sometimes I get angry, often I get angry, because I say, I don't deserve this. God, look at what I'm doing for you. Hey, look at my neighbors. I don't think they even love you. I don't think they even know you, but look what I'm trying to do. And I get angry at God because I feel in my heart, and this is my sinful self talking, God, I don't deserve this life. This isn't the life that I wanted. This is an abundant life, Jesus. Come on, get it right. I get angry at God. Sometimes, early on, I would get really guilty because I had a, a wrong view of God. Because see, guilt says, okay, it's caught up with me. God, you've put up with me long enough. You're bringing the full weight of suffering into my life because I've messed up too many times. And so guilt says, I deserve this. 
right? Anger says, I don't deserve this. Guilt says, I deserve this. It's caught up with me, and that's why I'm suffering. So often people respond with anger. Maybe you're an anger person. Hey, I don't deserve this. Maybe you're a guilt person. I do deserve this. Or you could be a cold person, which is, God, I don't care. I don't love you. I don't want you. Life stinks. It's cynicism. This is what life is. And you start cutting yourself off from relationships, starting with God and then affecting other relationships. So when you're dealing with suffering, which one are you? Are you one of those? Anger person, guilt person, or hey, a just indifferent person. Now, when we have this idea of adoption, this idea that God has adopted us, that plays an impact on how we respond. Because scripture says we're not the children of God because we did it right, but rather through faith in Jesus Christ, we are now adopted as the children of God. And God has given us a new spirit, the spirit of adoption, he calls it. And by that spirit, we call out Abba, Father. That One of the ways you know you're a Christian is, is by this idea, do you wanna know God as Father? Because people have come to my office sometimes and say, hey, I don't know if I'm a believer. And I said, well, do you wanna know God as Father? I was like, well, yes. Well, that's, that's the test. It's part of the aspect. If you wanna know the fatherhood of God in your life, that's evidence that the spirit is at work within you. And God has given us that spirit so that we might depend upon him as, as children. Now, this idea of adoption, again, if we think about natural adoption and how adoption works in our culture, it's not the will of the child to get adopted. As much as the child wants to be adopted by a great family, the child really can't do anything to get that parent to adopt them. Adoption, rather, is an act of grace. That that parent says, legally, you're going to become my child, which means I want to love you as if you were my natural-born child. I don't want there to be a difference between my natural child and my adopted child. When you bring somebody in your home like that, you're saying, I want to treat you as if you are my natural-born child. Now, in spiritual terms, that means that God loves you as God loved his son, and God is watching over you and caring for you as he loves Jesus. That's grace. Grace is scandalous, that God loves us to the same degree that he loves Jesus. Now, we don't believe that, and that's why we get angry, that's why we feel guilty, and that's why we become cold. It's a lack of faith. God, I don't trust you as my father, and I don't believe you've truly adopted me, and now that adoption is a legal status. Because think about it, an adopted kid can't unadopt itself, himself, herself, not it. Can't unadopt, because that's a legal standing. You're now a part of this family, and there's laws that actually protect that child. Well, when we're adopted into God's family, that is a legal transaction. It's not based on something we did. It was the will of the Father to declare us as the children of God. And see, that changes how we respond, respond to temptation. Now, let me show you this. You see, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So at my worst, Jesus died for me, which means when I'm going through difficulties, you know, I deserve much worse. The wages of sin, Scripture says, is death. So I know in my life that everything in my life after Jesus, it's all grace. Because what I really deserve is I deserve the condemnation. I deserve death. I deserve to be separated from God because the wages of sin led Jesus to the cross. And so when trials and temptations come in, I say to myself, you know what? By the grace of God, I am where I am. I have what I have. And God, I deserve much worse. And therefore, I'm not going to get angry at you assuming that I deserve better. 
because I understand that my wages fell on Jesus and not on me. And so I don't lead to anger because the grace of God says to me, hey, do you understand your condition? Do you understand your situation? Help me to see that clearly. One, I'm a sinner, and that keeps me from anger. But on the other hand, it keeps me from guilt. It keeps me from guilt because I can't pay the price. The whole idea of the Christian faith is you can't pay the price. There's nothing you could do to earn your salvation, which means if God laid it all on Jesus, why would he punish you for what you've done? It doesn't make any sense. There's no reason God disciplines us, but he doesn't punish us, which leads me to not to avoid guilt. It's not about what I've done. It's not about what I deserve, and it keeps me from becoming cold. Because see, as his child, God weeps when I weep. And it says in this passage, we read that, before we ask, he knows what we need. How many of you, as parents, know what your kids want before they ask? That's a parent that's focused on their child, aware of their child's heart, their needs, their desires. Well, that's God's intentions towards us. That God is so near to us and close to us that our heart cannot grow cold because what he wants for us is he wants, he wants what's good for us. Which means why, whatever reason this challenge has come, God, I can trust you. I can trust you. Hey, did you get a chance? Did you see that movie Dunkirk? Came out a couple years ago, right? I think it finally came out. On kind of, and maybe you know the story. Uh, during World War II, the British soldiers and a few of the French guys as well, um, their backs were against the wall. You know, their backs were up against the English Channel. In front of them was the advancing German army about to just wipe them off the face of the earth. And it was this moment of trial. It, will it be a temptation? Will it be a test? What's going to happen? Well, according to history, what happened is the head of the British army sent a telegram back to England, and it had three words. I don't know if you know these three words, but they sent three words back. This is how we're going to respond. And here's the words. But if not... Does that make sense to you? Okay, so they're facing annihilation, right? And the question is, are we going to surrender or are we going to fight? And the words that they sent back is, here's what we're going to do. They were just three words. I guess they didn't have a lot of time. The words were, but if not. Now, why those words? Well, see, go back a few years. People were more aware of the word of God. Scripture was more part of their culture. And those are three words that come from a story in the book of Daniel. And the words are, but if not. And the story in Daniel goes like this. It's in Daniel chapter 3. These three Jewish guys are facing annihilation. They're facing Nebuchadnezzar. They're facing Hitler. They're about to be wiped out. And Hitler's saying to them, if you don't bow down to this idol, if you don't worship it, I'm going I'm to destroy you. And they said to him, God's going to deliver. They said to Nebuchadnezzar, God's going to deliver us. But if not, we're still going to obey him. See, the British army, they're facing annihilation, and they're saying, hey, but if not, we believe God's going to deliver us, but if he doesn't, we will not surrender. Hey, let me read this to you. It's in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Daniel 3, verse 6, 16. Here's the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Verse 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able, notice, is able. God, you can deliver us. Doesn't mean he will deliver us, but he is able. God, you are able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. 
O king. But notice verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. To say those words in the face of suffering, but if not, you've got to have a new perspective on suffering. You've got to see it differently. And you've got to realize in this moment, the enemy is evil. The enemy is not my comfort. And God, even if you allow the worst thing to happen, I'm going to trust you. How do you have that kind of strength? How do you have that kind of faith? You're only gonna have it if you've seen Jesus do that for you. You're only gonna have that kind of faith if you know the life that you have today is because Jesus said, but if not. Father, deliver me from temptation. Hey, get me out of the garden. I wanna avoid the cross. But if not... Not my will, but your will be done. When you see Jesus in the moment of temptation, when evil is going to be victorious, saying, God, hey, not my comfort. The enemy is sin. The solution is trust. I'm gonna give myself over to you so that we, who were once enemies of God, can now be the children of God. If that truth, it's called the gospel, if it will get down to the heart, and if you start to see the beauty of what God has done in your moments of trial, you'll be able to say to God, God, I want you to deliver me, right? I mean, I'm still there. It's okay to pray that. God, get me out of this, but deliver me from evil. I'm gonna trust you, which means God, help me to obey. Help me to depend upon you. The only way we're gonna do that is we've gotta look back to the cross. You've gotta look back to the gospel. You've gotta look back to what Jesus has done and allow the beauty of Christ's sacrifice and your adoption to now become this empowering presence that leads you through temptation because you know God is, can be trusted and he's gonna use this to refine me, not to crush me. You with me? We've gotta say those words, but if not, God deliver me, but I wanna trust you as my father. Hey, let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that um, you keep the centrality of the message of Christianity at it's always before us. Our struggle is not to try harder. Lord, forgive us for facing temptations and trials and suffering and saying, I just gotta, I've gotta tough it out. I've gotta try harder. I've gotta depend on myself more. You will not allow us to be self-dependent. You always take us to a place of humility and an admission of pride to say, Lord, so often, the enemy I have fought is my own comfort. I've fought suffering. I've fought for my own self-will, my selfishness. Instead of going, Lord, I want to lose my life to find life. And in my trials, Lord, would you teach me how to lose life so that I can find my life in you, to know you as my father, to see things as you see them. And Lord, to know that the enemy is not, it's not the pain. The enemy I'm facing is my sin. Lord, would you use those moments to draw us to you so that you might take the pressure and out of the pressure would come diamonds that reflect your character. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.